Whatever crap. I'm making fun of me because I, I love wheat. 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 Wheat with a T. Oh, T. Wheat. Yeah. Yeah. Wheat with a T. <laughs> Definitely. He's a fairly formal goat, but he likes to party. Did you guys know that uh, Pepe Le Pew has been banned from like Looney Tunes because it's offensive to the French, I guess? Cheers. This is a New England. It's supposed to look like orange juice. <laughs> We're back. It's podcast day. Sonder stories. I don't even know what chapter. I'm not even going to pretend to know. 22. Chapter 22. Uh, we've got the whole gang here. We've got P&P, Danny Harold, Chase Legler. Hello. Luke Shropshire. What's up? And I'm Justin Neff. And there's an energy here, fellas. I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to speak out of turn here or anything. But there's an energy. It's podcast day, and we've been talking about trying to get a podcast in. We've we've been dark on some content for a while, trying to um, to get ready to roll for some things we have coming up. We'll talk a little bit about. But um, here we are. Uh, we're recording this on a Friday. This will be released next week. So um, let's just jump right in. Today we're going to talk about uh, some of our first barrel-aged sours that will be released in package format and bottle format. Um, And we've got uh, Luke Shropshire here to talk about that and talk about the program a little bit. And um, Chase will obviously add some some of his color commentary to that uh, as well and, and how he uh sleeps a little less because of it um but we get to try it and i couldn't be more excited about that i'm excited to to get all of you excited to to try it at our anniversary party here coming up soon so thinking about chase and luke doing like calling a football game is really funny <laughs> i don't get it <laughs> because what? you you said chase is the color commenter oh, so. yes <laughs> luke would you be able, would you know anything about that no. <laughs> Chase would be excited about it if it was a Packers game. That's true. Yeah, Packers, but I still don't know a whole lot about football. I mean, I played in high school, but yeah, it's too much. It's it's too much pressure. Like I try to have conversations with who I think are regular guys, and they just start going off on a tangent about stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you bet you, man. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> That's thanks a lot to fantasy sports. That's where it's gotten. Oh yeah. It's, yeah, and sports betting. Well, my wife does tell me that the new Packers head coach is quite, uh, quite handsome. I guess yeah, he's a good-looking dude. So, yeah. totally, <laughs> totally. <laughs> All right, Luke, let's jump in. What are we, what are we trying first here? All right, so we're going to start off with three. Well, there's three releases coming out um, on the anniversary. Um, the first one we're going to start off is, sorry, the first one we're going to start off with is our cuvette. So this is the first bottled beer that Chase and I did together. Let's crack this bad boy, and then we'll start talking about it. Bottle conditioned. Bottle conditioned, which was really exciting for having Chase uh, Chase here with me to do it, because uh, coming from New Glarus, you know the stuff, so let's listen to this bad boy. Can we quickly go over bottle conditioning and like the pros and cons and how that works? Yeah, one second. <laughs> oh, that Dang. was money. Yeah, Danny, so. Dan, PNP almost ruined it, by the way. <laughs> he did. It would have been like talking right when it's... <laughs> beer's pretty cold. I would have had to just mute myself. Uh, so, yeah. So, starting with the Cuvée Blonde 1. So, with the Sour Program, if you've been to the brewery, you've seen a huge fooder and then four punchins. The punchins were 
when we started this program um, and coming from previous uh, programs I've started, I realized that it's not really having a thousand barrels isn't really like the coolest thing to have. It, it just gets actually more difficult with all the tasting, um, with the four main punchins and with all the different blends of yeasts that I have tried. Um, in the past, I kind of was able to narrow them down to where I wanted them. So one punchin is a Saison punchin. The second one is going to be Brett strains that I've had since I was homebrewing, um, since 2015. Third one is this is going to be a nice kind of like a Lambic-esque blend. And the fourth one's just basically an acid barrel. It's still really, really sour. And real quick to back up on that, for those that may not know, so a cuvee is just a blend of all of those. So what he what what he's referring to, Luke, what you're referring to in this specifically is blending each of those barrels into one product. Correct. Um, real fast, sorry, I mislabeled these. This is actually the tea sour. <laughs> I tasted it. I was like, man, there's like I, I smelled it. I'm like, man, there's a lot of like strawberry notes to this. <laughs> I tasted. I'm like, wait a second, this is, this is tea. <laughs> so we'll we'll sorry guys. So we'll come back to we'll the come back out. to that one. <laughs> So this one's called Road to Casablanca. So Road to Casablanca, yes. Yeah. So teas are pretty fun. With the cellar room um, and with, uh, you know, how much work we're putting into pretty much making our brand be who we are, um, the cellar room's kind of on the back burner, and it's whenever there's some free time, I can hop in there and Chase will help out and let me get some stuff done, but um, it's not really, like, the big part. Um, so, and it's fun because with, with, with that, it, it really makes me think, how can I become more creative and unique with different styles if I don't have stainless back there. Um, and so with this, um, tea. Tea is an awesome uh, adjunct to use because a lot of teas have dried fruit, and when you have dried fruit, you're literally just pulling that essence and flavor and characteristic and color as well. Um, this one is kind of like a light rosé sort of color. It's dropping a little bit. Um, as it does with the with the color, um, with the tannins and everything coming out, but um, but but yeah. Where's the name come from? Why road to Casablanca? Uh, so the tea blend that I used is Casablanca, and Casablanca means desert. And there is a movie, um, I believe, called Road to Casablanca or something like that. It's definitely a movie Casablanca. Casablanca, okay. So I thought Road to Casablanca just sounded dope. <laughs> I thought Casa was house and Blanca was white. Or no, I don't know. Maybe different languages. Maybe. I was really oh, bad at Spanish. Spanish in high school. See, yeah, <laughs> totes. <laughs> what tea? Like, what was in the tea blend? Yeah, I'm interested in that. So, full disclosure to, to all of our listeners, uh, this is the first time I've ever tried this beer. So, yep. uh, a couple of different bottles you've brought out. Uh, fortunately, I've been able to try a couple of different ones. Uh, this is the only one I hadn't tried yet. Uh, so it's kind of fun that this is the first one that we tried. Uh, it's it's. Amazing, uh, but I, I'm like Danny, and curious as to what was in this blend of tea. Uh, I do know that uh, rose hip, rose petals, um, I think apples, and then a few other fruits are in there. Maybe like blueberries with it, and then with the way it plays off the acidity, it just kind of brightens it up a little bit more. Um, when we did this blend, I wasn't really targeting a huge amount of acidity. I wanted to kind of have more of a mellow approach, um, so the tea could really shine versus having the acidity from the patio and lacto overtake and kind of like turn you off from what should be the star of the party. Yeah, I think the, the tannins from the tea uh, kind of played nicely with the acidity. It's not, it's not over, overdone, um, but you can tell you get kind of that, that tannic kind of feel on your tongue and then the, 
the acids kind of come through at the very end to kind of clean out your palate and you're ready for some more. I completely agree. Yeah, so with this one, um, and with uh, what, we, what we'll see differently if when we try the cuvee um, is with this blend, it was more pulling from uh, kind of like the, the neutral or uh, punchin, so maybe a little bit more of the Saison punchin um, with a little bit more of the acid and just a hint of the Britannomyces punchin because I didn't really want that funk to kind of overtake and overplay. Um, so it was more just trying to be like as mellowed out as, as possible. Yeah, if I, didn't, if I didn't know any better, I would think there was fruit in this. It, it, I agree with Chase. There's a strawberry note on the nose. There's, there's even a grape character to it that I almost like a white wine grape on the nose. Uh, but it's definitely, it's definitely a berry character on the palate. That it, it, it balances really well. I, I really like this. It's really good. Yeah, nice intro, beer. Yeah, I'd be interested to see how it, how it tastes in six months and, and a year as well. So how does that typically play? Is this something that, that we'll recommend aging in a cellar at the right temperature, or is that something where the tea will fade so much that we'd recommend drinking it fresh? In, in my personal opinion, I wouldn't. Um, I, would drink it, I would drink it fresh. Because um, if it is a fruit flavor, you are going to get really disappointed in a year or two. I remember when I cellared a Fafoon from Cantillon for three years, and I was like, oh, yeah, man, this going to be great. And then it just tastes like goose, and I was like, oh, that's... Yeah. Not what I wanted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially in that particular case, especially with a fruit like apricot that, yeah. that just fades really fast. Um, yeah, I, what are your thoughts, Danny? I was thinking about this before the podcast, actually, because I was out there the other day, too, when Luke brought a bunch of these out. Like, it gives me flashbacks of when I was applying to, like, internships in college that I was wildly underqualified for. <laughs> like, asking me to evaluate these beers makes me feel like that. <laughs> Like, I know they're good, and I think they're delicious, and they taste great, but, like, I just don't know if my palate is refined enough to, like, really... I'm going to taste all three of these and enjoy my experience with all of them, and I can't wait to own a bottle or two of all of them. Or seven. Yeah, well, I might whip out the credit card. It's limited. Uh, (laughs) Like, these beers are incredible, and the complexities, you know, it's every... While it sits in your mouth, the flavor changes. Mm-hmm. And from the nose to drinking it, you get however many flavors throughout that whole process. And it's just a fun thing to like sit here and think about while you're drinking, you know? It's like this was this would be the type of beer that I would crack open. Like if I'm just like hanging out on a porch, like not really doing anything, because mm-hmm. I enjoy the process of drinking this and like evaluating the flavors and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead, Chase. Oh, I was, I was gonna just talk a little bit about the, the production of it a little bit. You know, these these beers are, are all done within the, the confines of, of that single room. Um, so we're literally doing um, a home brewing method, essentially, of hand-bottling these guys off Blickman guns. Probably a bad marketing tool there, but, I mean, you can literally see us doing it if you look at the, you know, if you look through our windows in our, sure. in our sour room. Uh, I, so, I disagree. I think it's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's, a, you know, it's a lot of, it's a labor of love, and, you know, Totally a shout out to Luke, and you know now that we are growing a little bit of a production team, it's a it's a lot of work hand bottling these guys, and um, it's just a it's a true uh, love of the craft because the labor that comes with it is uh, is intense. Um, so each bottle is is hand filled and and hand capped by us, and um, so it's a, it, it is limited. Um, so it kind of makes it um, for me more more personalized, I think. You know, and it's it's a unique beer that. 
you know, we can try to recreate in the future. Um, I'm sure we will, but you know, it's it's going to be different no matter what we try to do. And you know, Luke might disagree with that, but I just think it's going to be hard to, to to do these beers again the exact same way. And I think that puts you know, we're on the you know the larger scale. We're trying to be consistent, obviously, with every brand. Um, but with these, it's kind of nice to have you know the ability to say, oh, this was this is 2019 or 2020s. Um, QVA too, or you know, it's kind of cool to have that that mm-hmm. side of it, and more like like the wine industry where you're relying more on the agricultural side of the grapes. Um, this is more on you know on Luke's palate during that day when he was deciding what to blend and and what we use for ingredients. So it's just uh, it makes it more fun, I think. I, I completely agree. I you know on that note, let's talk about that a little bit. So we have bottled a certain amount of these, and it turns out it was. A little bit more than I thought, but we're only releasing 150 of these to the public. So we have three brands, uh, which, which we'll get into this being the first of the three. Three brands in bottles, and then we'll be releasing another one on Black Friday that we'll, we'll talk a little bit about shortly. But, so each bottle, we only have 150 bottles of these. And it's, uh, I, I agree with Danny. I think there's something very cool about the artisan feel and the small batch feel of the fact that we don't have a bottling line, right? We are hand bottling these. It's it's very limited. Um, we still think we might end up having to hand label these as well, um, which is going to be super fun. Um, but you know, it's something that you know, and we'll we'll talk about the price point of these and, and where we're going with that and, and potential the future. But this is this is <laughs> when people try these beers. I, I firmly believe. When we know what people are paying for similar products around the country, I mean, this is going to be highway robbery for what you're going to be able to get these for, especially for all the labor that's going into it. That said, it, more than likely, I, I, would, I would argue, and I might be wrong, these will be gone within a few hours of release date on our anniversary, and, and I hope so because they should be. It's, it's that high of a, a product. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I mean, we kept it, we kept it very low, limited, because um, having... Oh, 30 cases of 750s, it's going to take a while to go through, no matter who you are, unless you are, you know, the big dogs, so side project, no pharmacy, et cetera. Going with 500 mil, um, having, you know, 10 cases, 11 cases, it, it makes it more, in my opinion, more sought after because once they go, they're gone, and they're not going back right. out for a while. Right, and, and to Chase's point, Forever. I mean, it, yeah. we, we can try to recreate these beers, but it, it is like wine in, in, in the sense that it, we're going to try to recreate these as best we can, and we might get close. I, I have confidence in the two of you and your abilities, but it's still going to be, this is the 2019 version. 2020 Road to Casablanca, I mean, what if, what if that tea blend just, just right. reacts just a little bit different, or the yeast reacts a little bit different? Chase, you, you at an early stage of of us getting the brewery up and running would consistently say yeah our target's x number of days on this but we're dealing with a live organism here we're dealing with yeast and how it reacts to the to the wort and to the product it it, it's it's totally up to that yeast strand and how it's feeling right so and it's that's never more accurate than with something like this yeah it's that's completely true and you know the you know luke i think kind of uh, referred to the the sour program for me is a little bit on the back burner, especially in the beginning, because yeah, obviously we're a brewery, but we're also a company, and we and it's a it's a big project to get this this brewery up and running, and we we absolutely could not fail. Like we had to get beer sold, <laughs> and 
you know, trying to do a sour program while trying to do a startup breweries is it's a mistake. If there's if there's breweries that are listening to this, don't even try to do it. You know, we we have we have very strict uh, CIP procedures, um, which helps. But uh, at the end of the day, if you get if you get bacteria in your clean site in production, you're in a world of hurt. And if you're <laughs> you're if a you're, sour brewery now, you're a sour brewery. <laughs> but you're also potentially. I mean, if you have to recall beer, you're possibly closing down your doors, right. especially for a new brewery. Um, so that's why you know Justin, I think, alluded to need my lack of sleep because of the sour program. And that's, that's exactly it is just keeping it contained, keeping it confined. And, and I have the utmost trust in, in Luke and in, in doing this work physically himself and keeping it isolated and separate. Um, but it's a, it's a lot of weight on your shoulders when you're, when you're going through the a sour program in the same facility. And, and on top of that, you know, a lot of people probably have no idea that because of all of that on the days that, that, you guys are hand bottling these products. We have to shut down the clean side. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it has to. The, we have to make it. It has to. A. It has to work. It has to be good, and they are. Uh, and we knew they would be. But it has to. It has to make sense for us to shut down production everywhere else mm-hmm. to be able to do this. Yeah, and then you know, with it being such close proximity to the next day, we come in and we we baptize the brewery. We we are you know chlorinating, cleaning, top to bottom cleaning everything in case bacteria did happen to get out into production. And on top of that, you know, finding the day to shut down is very difficult. So that's why we'll try to have as many blends figured out so we can roll them all out in the same day. Kind of going back to what I was saying, um, you know, when these are gone, obviously we have beers planned to come back out, but it might be a minute, you know, because if we're, if we're cooking, you know, yeah, we have more production guys, that means someone's shift, probably mine, is going to have to start going to like a weekend when there's no one here so I can start jamming out more. It's more work, though, so it's a fun thing to start right now. Um, but it's understandable, you know? And to be honest with you, <laughs> you know, back when I was working with Sour Barrels, <laughs> I mean, I would, I would just go in the back, pull a nail, and then go back out to the production floor and just, you know, screw around and get stuff done. And Oof. But Chase, I mean, I don't even walk in there sometimes without his permission. I'm just like, hey, man, so, like, I want to get this done and that done. This is what my... Hey, Dad. Dad. <laughs> but, you know, it makes me feel better because I'll tell him what I'm doing. He's like, yeah, it's fine. Just do that and that. Because then I'll go back onto the floor. Like, if I'm going to put something in there or, you know, if I'm, I'm going to pitch something, you know, or touch a barrel, you know, I'll be like, hey, I'm going to wear gloves. I'm going to, you know, step in the bleach. You know, spray my hands out with alcohol. He's like... Okay, if you keep it like that, then you're good to go. You know, it just it just gives me a peace of mind though too, because again, Chase did not <laughs> Chase did not plan for that room to be what it is. Chase planned for it to be a fooder room that would pass back to be pasteurized. I totally changed that on him, which is awesome that he let me. But with that, I still give great respect that he had let me do that. So I always make sure that I am doing. My due diligence and making sure that what he wants is being done the way he wants it, you know. Yeah, totally. And that, and that, you know, f- for context, I mean, that's why you have places like the brewery or Upland or Wicked Weed who focus on a whole segment of their organization as sour beer, and they have a completely separate facility for it. They don't even they don't even mix their clean beer with with their sour beer, and so for us to be able to. To do that effectively so far is totally a kudos to the two of you. Yeah, in a, in a perfect world, you know, in you know, five years, whatever, maybe we'll have that. Hopefully, because then I'll 
really be able to sleep at night if it's completely separate and isolated. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, so let's get on to – what's that? Sorry. No, I was just agreeing. I think that'd be dope. Yeah. All right, uh, number two, Luke, what, what's next? Uh, uh, pending that you labeled these correctly. If I label this correctly, this is the coup bear. <laughs> so they don't have labels on them yet, by the way. That's why we're, we're, we're kind of I, – I, I didn't think we were going into it blind, but apparently we're going into this a little bit blind. So. <laughs> so funny. Perfect carbonation means a lot in sour beers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we never did talk about the bottle conditioning process. Yeah. Um, so while he's pouring these out, why don't you explain a little bit about that? Sure. So um, – so what bottle conditioning is, is uh, basically taking sugar, adding it to the finished product, and then taking live yeast, adding that as well, and then uh, packaging it, whether it's in a bottle and or a keg, and you're letting that yeast uh, consume those sugars that you just added to produce all the natural carbonation in the beer itself. So you have to target um, a certain volume of uh, CO2, um, certain cell count in yeast, um, live viable yeast, uh, to hit uh, the proper volume of carbonation in the beer. So this is the cuvee? Should be. My God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> I wish we start with this one because that tea kind of like is strong, but we can still taste the beer. Um, so this beer. Is th- really good. <laughs> well, <laughs> so this beer. Um, so this is the one that Chase and I did, and this did not go the way I wanted it to go, but it, then it did. So, you know, I had everything I wanted purchased, flow meters and everything. Flow meter didn't show up the day it should have. Chase and I don't have all day, so Chase is like, all right, let's just eyeball it. It's like, okay. Well, we we measured cool. the uh, the barrel. Yeah. Yeah. We, the tape measure. So we didn't, we didn't eyeball it, eyeball it. We did in a sense, but we got the dimensions right. So, yes, to, so that's the correct guess. <laughs> so we did it. Goes in and tastes fine. I'm freaking out. You know, it's the first beer that we're doing, and, you know, it's just a lot of stress on me because if this doesn't go right, the sour program might kind of teeter away for a minute. We bottle it. All's good. Try in three weeks. It sucks. It's garbage. It's crap. I hate it. I want to punch a wall. I want to grab every bottle and smash them. I'm blaming everything, you know, from me to them being like, well, maybe it was because of Chase and we didn't do the flow meter and you know I was just I was just trying to look for an excuse you know <laughs> we then I forget what it was what day it was I think it was like a month or two later and I was like you know what screw it I've been working hard I deserve this so I popped the bottle and it was so different night and day difference um, it kind of came out with like I'm not saying it is, but it started to come out with like a goose characteristic, like a blue cheese. Um, then it kind of went into like a really bright citrus, and then it kind of went into like a white wine, and then it just kept layering and layering and layering, and it was just like, what the hell happened here? And then I thought to myself, well, technically, Luke, this is the first time you've ever really blended, you know? So people can use the term blend very loosely. So. You're in a bourbon barrel program. You have 50 barrels. Yeah, you blend them all together. You're in a big sour program. You use the same base, you know, uh, bacteria and yeast, and you blend those barrels together. For this program and for this brand exclusively, or I'm sorry, especially, it's about blending what I have to make something that I can't create, that isn't created in the oak already, if that makes sense. So... I'm taking my Saison barrel, my Brett barrel, 
and then I'm taking my my really sour barrel, and then I'm trying to produce a specific flavor to then emulate what I want. So I'm then blending three brands, three mature stocks that are then coming together, and they're just kind of going through this really funky process. On top of with the bottle conditioning, you're putting so much stress on the yeast that's now then excreting all these different flavors and aromas and characteristics that you know you won't get with a forced carbonation. And I didn't understand why, and I'm not calling ourselves this at all, but when you hear guys who are making Lambics, Cantillon, Drifontainen, Quilton, or um, Quint, how do you say it? Tilquin? Tilquin, thank you. They'll bottle condition for eight months. And I was like, why, the, why would you ever do that for so long? It's so stupid. You know, you get carbonation in, you know, in three weeks. Hmm. Now I know. Because when you're blending, there's just so much going on. It has to even itself back out to what you thought it would have tasted like. And that's the other thing about blending is just because when you do the main blend and it tastes good, you think it's, that's how it's going to go, it's going to be very different on the final product once it's hit its carbonation and it's matured and it's gone through another fermentation in a very small bottle versus in a 500-liter um, oak tank, you know? You essentially guessed. Yeah. Yeah, this, like, you were predicting what you were hoping for it to turn out. But and then it exceeded... All my expectations. Yeah, this beer rocks. I don't think Chase and I, Chase and I, when we did the blend, so Jeff, Jeff Parker and myself did the blend, and then Chase and I did the blend again to taste it. We're like, okay, this tastes good. Let's just roll with it. And then it was just THP, like just, ugh, it was, it was bad. And then after that, it just, just bloomed. And I mean. It's just crazy to see like how beer can change. Like that's so that's the, that's the cool thing about sour beer. That's why I get so so excited. That's why I love it so much. Is it's like it really is an art. It always changes. And then when you think you got it, you don't. You know, unless you're you know Armand. I mean, I don't even think Armand. You know, for Drew Fontaine, I would say he knows what it's going to taste like. You know, but his palate is so far experienced. It's just like if I could achieve something like that or Jean Benoit, what he's doing at Cantillon, especially with spontaneous beer, which is even more out there, you know, then you really do become an artist. You know, it's, a, it's, it's very complicated, but it's really fun, and it, it just really gets me going, you know. It's just... Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's complicated, yet at the same time, it's kind of, for me, it's a little bit relaxing um, because I, I do tend to have and like to have kind of control over the beer, uh, but when you get into these these styles, you just kind of have to kind of let it let it go and be like, yeah, you know, it's it's going to evolve and the bottle's going to change. Don't really know what to expect, and it's it's kind of a nice uh, escape from you know the clean side to to have the ability to kind of be like, all right, let's 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 blend these guys, taste them together. Luke has a, a great vision of what he wants. He brings the samples to me. Ninety nine percent of the time, it's like, yeah, it tastes awesome, man. Let's let's do it. Let's go forward with it. And uh, it's just kind of nice to have that. For me, it's, it's relaxing on, on that side of it for the sour program. Yeah, I, I love not knowing what to expect. Uh, um, and even, even this one here that I tried three days ago, even from then to now, it's a little bit different. And, and I think that's, there's beauty in that. You know, I think one of you used the word art. It, it is art. Um, and, and there's a... There's a, an artistic side of it. There's a scientific side of it. And that's what, that's what I, I hope that 
uh, our listeners and our consumers that, that finally get to purchase this here shortly uh, appreciate. Yeah, it's a, it's a good, once again, and I, I, I was bringing this up, but it's a good uh, marriage with, with Luke and I because he loves the blending side, the artistic side of it, um, you know, the adjuncts and all that. But then, with, you know, for the bowel conditioning, it's very scientific and it's, it's, very, uh, it's very controlled. It's, it's, it's very numbers-based. Um, so it's a, it's a good combination, once again, of, of Luke's and I's ability. And, and Luke did a great job with the sour program. Uh, he's, he's probably not going to say this, but he had everything to do with this beer. I was very hands-off with all this stuff. This is, this is all Luke's beer. Like, he did all the blending. He did the punch-ins. He, he sourced the punch-ins. He did all the blending. He selected all the bacteria that he's been using at home for, for years. So this is, this is all Luke's baby, and I, I couldn't be prouder. Thanks, dude. That means a lot. Yeah. It's really cool to hear that from Chase Legler. So, <laughs> yeah, he's never really said anything about me like that. So, I'm <laughs> good. I was about to like start tearing up. Now I'm like, ah, I'm good. <laughs> no, I, I we we all feel that way. Yeah, we we do. It's uh, Chase alluded earlier to the fact that it's not smart to do this while you're trying to to start up a thirty barrel brewery. 30 barrel brew house brewery and to be doing everything that we're doing uh and for you to still be able to do this in the background yeah uh it's not only impressive um it's it's pretty much unprecedented yeah and i and i keep putting more and more on luke's plate too and he still you know he still has that drive and focus in the sour program and it's like yeah absolutely man that's fine hey did you get the schedule done yeah. yep yep he's got it done yeah. like all right go ahead <laughs> hey, as long as I get my stuff done, you know, uh, I was like, like um, it, it was cool hearing Chase say that. And, you know, I always feel like the more and I think with how these have turned out and how things have gone and Chase has said this, it is more relaxing for him. So he's not as worried because he knows I'll have the hops in, the grain's going to be in, the brewers are going to be in, we're going to get our stuff done. And then I'm going to schedule everything just so I can then get into the sour room at the end of the day to do some tastings or maybe do like a small blend to see how it tastes. I can go from there. He's like, yeah, dude, whatever. Everything's ready to roll, you know, do it. So it's, just, it's, it's cool, you know. So the cuvee, you started to talk about this earlier and then you popped <laughs> the wrong cap. Uh, I'll, I'll just reiterate what that means for those that don't know. So a cuvee is essentially a fancy word for blending. Yes. Um, and, and what you did with this particular beer was you took a little bit of each of your four punch-ins mm-hmm. and put them all into one product. Is that, yeah. is that a fair way of explaining it? Yeah, and so the cool thing will be is when people taste them is um, every single bottle except for the fourth one that won't be released until Black Friday, they're all blends from all the same punch-ins. They're just at different percentages and the flavors are different. So for this cuvee, it was primarily my Brett barrel. I'm sorry, it was primarily the Brett barrel with the Saison and then a back blend of acid to round it out. The Saison barrel was primarily the Saison with a little bit of Brett to give it some funk and then just a pinch of acid to kind of just give it a little bit of, a little bit of acidity. Um, and so it's funny to hear that because if you're, if you're thinking about it, you're like, well, isn't that technically the same beer? Yeah, it is, but it's at different percentages and ratios. So then it's actually not the same beer. And that's what true blending really is. 
Yeah, and, and when Luke says the the acid, it's not like an addition of like a like a concentrate acid. It's it's a barrel that uh, has high concentrations of acidity. That's that's naturally produced from yeah. bacteria. And it adds up to a hundred percent, not a hundred and ten percent. Yeah, I was I was about to make a hundred and ten percent joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we at some point we'll probably name a beer something after this, and we'll be able to explain it. But the the quick in and out of that. Long story short, I hate when somebody says. I gave it 110%. That's not physically possible. You can't give more than 100% of something. And the first look at the labels had the blend percentages. I was like doing a little bit quick math. I was like, I think this is 110%, not 100. Maybe I'm not understanding how blending works, but I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be 100. It was like Luke and God got together and they're like, hey, let's, let's, uh, let's punk Neff here. <laughs> Luke, you're like, doesn't this add up to 110%? I'm like, all right, who did it? I can't, I can't handle it. It's All right, tangent done. What's next, Luke? What's the, what's the third? All right, so the third one is Saison de Punjum Blend 2. So Saison de, Blend, uh, Saison, Saison de Punch and Blend 1 was punch in number 2 with a little bit of punch in number 3 for the acidity. Um, this is punch in 1, 2, 3, and 4. Chase is going to make a nice knob and pop on it. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Saison de Punch and our, or no, never mind, Sangria de Punch is our highest rated beer on Untapped. Yeah. That will be making a reappearance, too. Yep. So that one, that one we've already announced, that will be on tap at our anniversary party, but not in bottles. Gotcha. Woo! Wow. That's going to start foaming here in a sec. No. It's no. no, it's not, Danny. We're professionals here. We know how to. <laughs> <laughs> so Saison de Puncham made its first appearance at Brews and the Burbs. For those that were at that event, uh, the BC's Bottle Lodge event at Crossroads Church, and uh, we poured that beer, uh, we had that on tap for the VIP hour, and then Luke walked around with really sexy three-liter bottles <laughs> and poured it out of those bottles, and then we had it on tap right after that, and it lasted uh, not very long, and uh, now it's coming back, and I could not be more excited about this. Yeah, this beer actually, um, I'm not a Saison guy at all, but I do remember when we started this program, I really wanted to get Saisons more involved in the program versus just fruit beers, fruit beers and fruit beers. Yeah, this is lame, you know, why not get spices and herbs and lemongrass, you know, and kind of characteristics like that and just roll with it and, you know, really expose what you know, how these things really used to be made and be different. So, although I'm not asking everyone to do this, I'll jump off the cliff and I'll, I'll, I'll pick my favorite. I like all three of them a lot, a lot, a lot, but this one's my favorite. If I hoard bottles of any of them, this is the one I'll hoard bottles of. Definitely more of an acid kick at the end. Yeah. I think, um, you know, with, with having this nice bottle condition to it as well with the carbonic acidity to kind of really round it out as well. This one I think might be the higher carb of all of them. Um, when Chase and I were doing these, we basically when you, when you do the bottle condition, you have to guess what the, the, the word or the blend is. You know, you have to figure out what the CO2 is at 
already, so the delta. And then you have to figure out what you're going to then add to it. So if you think your blend's at 0.5, you know, uh, volume to CO2, and you want it to be at 3, well, then you add 3 volumes to it through the addition of yeast and sugar. And so we went really conservative at first, and then after that we went higher, and then we went even higher, and then we kind of found the sweet spot, and I think the Saison was the sweet spot. Danny? Honestly, I'm just having a good time listening to Luke talk about these beers because, you know, he loves brewing, he loves this industry, but I think it's just another notch ahead when he talks about the Sour Program. Like, it's really cool seeing your passion come through. And I even remember the day that you and Jeff were blending. Like, it was cool just being there for that, taking pictures of you guys doing that. And, like, you'd hand, like, some of them over to me, and I'm like, dude, these are all good, but, like, I don't know, like, what the difference is between them. Like, I would drink any of these, you know. But, like, it's always really cool to see. It's easy for me to see passion. You talking about beer always comes off really well, but you talking about these sours, it's something that you really care about, and it's something that you take a lot of pride in, which is really fun for me from a marketing perspective. Chase talked about it earlier with, like, how much work goes into hand bottling and whatnot. I love that marketing tactic of, like, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into these and a lot of fun, a lot of joy, a lot of pride. We're an incredibly well-rounded brewery, and this is just another layer of that, and it's really cool to hear. Yeah, anything anything that kind of involves oak just kind of gets me going. It's just... (laughs) To allude, to allude to another side of the Oak program, the clean side, um, and, and Chase is more having a bigger hand in that one than me, but you know, for me to source the barrels and find the coolest thing that I can is what really kind of gets me going. So like filling chocolate liqueur barrels, I mean, that's, that's stupid. You know, that's, just, that's cool as hell. You know, like, you know, getting potentially coffee liqueur barrels in the future too. I mean, it's just like, what can I get that no one else has that can make us stand a little bit further apart? But in the same sense, just because it's cool, will it work with the beer as well? So you got to have both, you know, the cool factor and then the logistics side. And you got to make sure they're both going to work, you know. I don't, you know, there, there's some barrels that are cool, but I'm like, what, I don't, what the hell am I going to do with that, you know? Like, I don't. I don't know what I'm going to do with a sake barrel. You know, I don't have anything ready for that to go. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I knew I'd get some of that no, one. You don't have to pick on sake barrels. <laughs> we can find something to do with sake barrels. No, we can. But, you know, when you have these huge outlier barrels, it's just like, well, it's cool. That's cool, you know. But I've definitely had beers that have been, like, aged in this barrel. Like, oh, that's badass. I want to try it. You try it. Like, that is not what I was expecting, you know. And then it just, it just ruins it. You know, you... The second life of the barrel is just shot. You know, it, it doesn't get to live its second life, basically, in a lame spiritual way. But, and, you know, and then in the same sense, you know, the beer, just it, it's not doing it justice. So that's the stuff I don't want to see. And I think that's the fun thing with, with us and a lot of our products. But also time, you know, just being able to find stuff like that and be able to put stuff in it that's going to work, you know, so... It's a really cool science, and it's it's something that I enjoy. I know I, I load you guys with questions all the time because I'm curious about everything, and I don't quite know how everything works, but it's awesome talking to you guys about what goes into deciding what makes its way into barrels and what works best and like what the hope is for that barrel to become versus what actually happens. You know, like when you were talking about the cuvee, like 
being crappy after how many weeks and then two months later it's rock yeah that stuff is super cool to me and it's fun to talk about it's fun to taste and it's fun to watch evolve like it'll be cool to see what it tastes like on tap during the anniversary versus when i Mm -hmm. pop my own bottle however long later you know yeah well what's cool too is you know there's there's never been a, a point in time either where where justin is like ever wants to like blend something out you know to make more product something everything that we're doing this barrel touches becomes bottled we're not taking you know more beer unless it needs it because sometimes with barrel aging with bourbon barrel aging it does get hot sometimes mm-hmm. you have to which we haven't we, we, we haven't done that yet but it's never like a conversation of like you know how many bottles can we get out of this to make right. money it's it's never never about that it's always about the beer and so it's, it's kudos to, to to justin and you know just the leadership here of being like the product is what stands out. Totally. And that will always, thanks for saying that, that, that will always be one of our pillars. This yeah. is about the craft of who we are, right? This is not about the massive side of it. And, and hopefully, as we grow, I mean, that's, look, one of the cool things about the podcast, right, is, is hopefully listeners are enjoying this because they get the direct inside look of what is going into this organization from uh, from a leadership perspective, right? And and we could easily find um, <laughs> things that 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 we could be doing in this time, but uh, it's it's unique, and uh, and that's our. I like to think, as hopefully everyone else does, that our products are unique enough that uh, if this is not about how do we maximize the profits of this as much as it is being able to uh, utilize people's talents and abilities and, and vision for this? I, I think that's one thing we haven't really talked about as much as we've talked about how good the product is and how well executed it is. This takes a shitload of vision. It takes, it takes a lot of thought into what does this barrel turn into and what, does the, what, what are we able to do with this? For goodness sakes, we have a, 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 a sour that we're not going to talk about today because we're going to release it on Black Friday. Hopefully it's ready. Um, a, a, a sour beer that was aged in a pomegranate liqueur barrel. That um, Yeah, that sounds sexy, but, you know, Luke, to your point, you throw the wrong beer in there, and it, it's, it's a jumbled mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and consumers will be able to try that beer on our anniversary, uh, it's called Taken for Pomegranate. It's not ready in bottles yet because of the process that goes into that, but it takes a vision to be able to put something like that together. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to back into the math of, obviously we're not swimming in money after this sour program, you know? <laughs> but yeah. it puts a whole other layer into our brewery of, you know, we have a 30-barrel system that pumps out really good beer all the time, but then we also have this unique program of the sours where we're able to... Luke's able to get creative. Uh, him and Chase are able to employ some of their previous strategies and test new ones and kind of show the versatility that we have. And it adds that, I, I keep saying it, it adds that other layer to our brewery. Yeah, and, it, you know, the, the, the sour program, it, you know, as much as it stresses me out because of the bacteria sense of it, um, it, it, it has to come at a cost. Whether it's, you yep. know, tangible or not, it has to come at a cost. And I think... I think for us being a new brewery, and there's you know there's a lot of new breweries starting up, and the competition is getting harder and harder, um, and and that cost is not it's 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 not money. It's it's, it's more of it's more of the brand awareness and yep. and to really showcase what we can do as 
breweries as well. 100%. I agree with that completely. Um, All right. So as we wrap up talking about our sour program, I thought it would be a little fun to uh, talk about what this looks like in the future a little bit. Maybe it's in the near future. Maybe it's in the long future. But I would be curious to hear from the two of you. So here we are. We've... We've talked a lot about our sour beer today, but, but also behind closed doors and behind the curtains and all that stuff. Um, I think I know what Luke would say, though I'm not 100% certain, but I'm just curious, have you guys talked about, for Sonder, what is this, does it look like this for as long as the foreseeable future is, where it's, hey, as we've got time, we'll pump out a few bottles here and there. Is there idea or thoughts of having um, an, an annualized sour all the time available. What, what does this look like for you guys? What are your thoughts? Well, for me, it's, it's tough, you know, because I don't know what the sour market is like. You know, uh, I, can, I can certainly have, have passion in building a sour program up um, because I, I know how to do it. Um, as far as equipment goes um, and resources that we would need for it, um, so we—I mean—we could easily pump out, you know, five thousand barrels of sour beer a year um, with upgrades in equipment. Um, you know, that's kind of a—that's that's a rabbit hole that we don't need to get you know go down to. But um, with pasteurization and all that, um, with clean side sour beers becoming clean and whatnot. Um, so for me, it's more of what the consumers want. I think if we're going to do it like how we are doing it in the future, um, for me personally, it'd be nice to isolate it and separate it out to a different facility. I agree with that. Um, you know, we have a we have a, a, a sexy brew house. Um, we've got six and a half acres of, of property, and adding you know a few hundred feet of stainless steel pipe into a separate facility is not that difficult to do. Um, so I think it'd be fun to, to work in with our production as we grow as a production brewery to work it in uh, where we can uh, cask wort out into a facility that I just I see Luke just living in. <laughs> I, I, was, I was literally going to make that joke. I was like, we should just build a house that has our sour program. Luke and Haley can move in with Warren and just like live on the property. You see Luke, you see Luke like every six months, and he's got like birds living in a super long beard. He's got like tattered clothes. You would, you would see him like digging up land and be like, what is he doing? He's like, just leave him alone, leave him alone. Then you see him with a clay pot, putting clay pots in the ground. <laughs> He's yeah. like finding yeah. rare yeast strands on the land. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah I did get I did get quotes on forest. They're very expensive. So. <laughs> See, this, told you those will be a while from now. <laughs> you should probably quickly explain what that is. Oh, uh, so forest just real fast. Uh, it's it, it's a big clay pot. So um, it's what uh, so in Georgia, uh, the country Georgia, they'll make. Uh, I lived there for two years. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know um, PMP's mom's from South Africa. It's pretty dope. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. He's, he's very worldly. Yeah. That very worldly. <laughs> uh, so just basically, long story short, um, in Foras and in Georgia, they're actually uh, a, different, a different term. I forget what their name is. Um, but it's, uh, they'll take white wine, white, white grapes, and they will put them in the clay pot, and then they'll let it spontaneously ferment, um, and then it'll kind of make an orange color. Um, and that turns into a product called orange wine. Um, so orange wine is, it, it's becoming more popular. 
Um, it's not a natural wine, which is a low sulfided wine. It's 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 totally different, spontaneous. You know, let the earth do its thing. It's funky. It's got bread. Sometimes it's a little sour. Um, I think it's a really cool product to drink. The bottles are just really expensive, so you're looking at fifty to seventy dollars a bottle, and sometimes you're only getting two hundred fifty milliliters at a time. So, yeah, that'll be a while. <laughs> <laughs> what what effect does a clay pot have on a beer versus a barrel? Clay, uh, so you're getting the minerality. You're okay. getting more microoxygenation going through it. Um, so you're using uh, terracotta. Gotcha. Doesn't it, doesn't it give you a natural smoky flavor as well? No. Because of the... Well, that could be from the bread, though. Okay. Mm. I know you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so and then my vision for the style room program, I see it rocking right now as is. Um, for a little bit of time, yes, I would love to get it out of the of the of the brewery now, um, just because it's a headache for Chase and I to figure out when we can get stuff done. Um, I'm hoping with after this first release, there's only I have a wish list of maybe three items, um, so we can start doing fruit. Other than that, I'm pretty happy with what I have. I'm really happy with my base cultures, my base stock. Um, you know. Shout out to Listerman. They gave us two free port barrels that I have filled with uh, Ode Brune. And then the other one's filled with, uh, with one of my homebrew mixed cultures that I have banged with Omega. Um, you know, and those will be reused. If not, you know, we'll get potentially two, just two barrels at a time per year. I'm very easy to please on this kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, once once the time comes and... I have more guys on the floor. Speaking of which, I have th- three already. Yeah, we got a uh, total of six, right? Six, seven, you and I. Seven, including me? Or yeah, yeah. so, I mean, there's enough guys on the floor where I can break off and do my thing. Um, I would love to see a year-round beer on draft, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. will be utilizing our fooder, which um, Chase and I and Justin have been talking about. Um, so I would say look for in the next six months on the horizon to see probably a year-round brand that we can continuously rip and roll with. Um, but I do want to keep this program incredibly small with the release of no more than 20 cases of a brand at a time. I would like to make it small, hard to get kind of, you know, I want to make sure these things aren't going to sit. I would hate to see our products sitting in the tap room for eight months because we have so many cases in the back. I, I want to see them roll on the same sense because of that not because they're selling out we're making money it's more that it's gone cool i have to make a new project and so it's always making me think what can i do next so is the current beer in the fooder the one we're thinking for year round or potentially that one will come out and it will be well yeah i think it'll be a different a different beer different beer that one coming out will be a great beer with quite a bit of draft, I would imagine, in bottles mm-hmm. um, that will last for some time. Long enough, I'd say, for the fooder to mature to the new um, batch that we want to go for. So is it is it fair to say or speculate based on on kind of where you guys are going with this that, that maybe three, four, somewhere maybe between three to six releases a year of, of a brand and, and yeah. that? It, um, yeah, I would say that's that's probably the more realistic. I'd say six is... That would probably be, at, at the clip we're going, that's probably best case scenario. Best case scenario, that, yeah, yeah with, uh, with how busy we're getting, uh, with how much production we're doing. And then on top of 
as I said, how the cuvee tasted so bad after three weeks, but it tasted so good after two months, our bottles are going to lay down for about two to three months yeah, before absolutely. they're released. So, you know, we're going to layer the program. So when one release happens, you can basically count the calendar each quarter. We're going to have another release. Right. And then also in the same sense, that could be maybe three brands come out. Who knows? Just depends on what we can do with what we got. Well, um, and, and this is the epitome of when it's ready, it's ready. Right? Exactly. You, you don't rush the product. Yeah. I, don't, I don't remember if it was said earlier, but how long have these been bottle conditioning? Uh, almost three months. Okay. Um, they've been going for a while. They've been sitting. Um, it's actually kind of nice. We have uh, a really good area to put them. We put them actually on top of the sour room in our brew house, so it is hot up there. <laughs> it's hard to get to you, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was... I, I was a nervous wreck when you were putting those things up there. Oh, we were both yeah. nervous because we were like, <laughs> if we overcarb these, they're going to explode and they're going to be all over the brewery. Yeah. It was not something that was good. That It, it was very worrisome, but we figured it out. You know, we got it done. Yeah, I wasn't worried about exploding bottles. I was worried about someone driving the forklift into our <laughs> wart line pipes and our hot water pipes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, think, I think I've been the only one that drives those pallets in and out, I think. I don't need to touch them. Yeah. It's, it's risky. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, oh, go ahead. Well, oh, I'm, I'm just waiting for someone to knock the word line pipe. I'm, no. I'm not waiting for that. That's <laughs> not going to happen. Um, well, I, I just thank you guys. Uh, thanks for all of the hard work uh, and, and the craft that, that we got out of it is brilliant. I cannot wait for this to get in market. Um, yeah. we've, we've announced it everywhere where social media that we're on, but uh, in case you potentially haven't seen it, uh, we'll be releasing all of these at 10 a.m. on November 9th, that Saturday, for our anniversary party. Um, again, we have uh, 150 bottles, actually less than 150 bottles, uh, that will, will total go on sale um, to the general public, so make sure you, uh, you get here early and get them. Um, there's no pre-sale available for them, so they'll go on sale at 10 a.m. on that day, and, and uh, what's left at the end of the day is what's left. So um, There won't be any left I, at the I, end of the I, day. I really don't think so. Uh, they'll retail at $9.99 a piece. They're 500 milliliter bottles, um, so 16.9 ounces um, at $9.99. It is, it is cheap. You're right. Yeah. Um, it's a great deal. I, I, I'll be honest. I struggle with that price, but I'm Swiss, so I, 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 just, I know how much work you know Luke put in, and we all put into these beers. But you guys are lucky. Uh, it was Luke's idea. It was Luke's idea. It was, yeah. Uh, it was, and yeah. and uh, I, I think once people try these, they would they would pay a lot more than that. Um, but luckily, this uh, this is an opportunity for consumers to be able to try them. So, um, cheers to you guys. My cheers. favorite's the cuvee, but my, the cuvee, by the way. Cuvee is your favorite? Okay. Yeah. The cuvee. Like, cheers, yeah. guys. The cuvee. Yeah. Well, thank you guys, and cheers. Uh, cheers.